Hi, my name is Dr. Mark Alandari, and I'm an infectious diseases specialist in New Orleans. Hi, my name is Hope Hickerson, and I'm a health education specialist and reporter. This is the Noise Filter Podcast, where an infectious diseases physician... That's me, and a health education expert... That's me. Talk about what you need to know to keep yourself and your loved ones healthy. For more information about Noise Filter, your public health podcast, and to watch and share our incredible informative animations, please visit us at noisefiltershow.com. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to us. So let's get started. Newly found bacteria may be the cause of rheumatoid arthritis. We were just talking about that a moment ago. Rheumatoid arthritis affects one in 100 people across the world. That, uh, that's 1%. A new study may have found the cause behind this disease is gut bacteria. Rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune disorder, which means that the disease develops when your immune system begins to attack itself. The disease can cause painful and inflamed or swollen joint, usually in the hands and the wrists, and can cause chronic pain, deformities, and joint damage. The antibodies that trigger rheumatoid arthritis may start developing in places like the lungs, mouth, and intestines over a decade before symptoms even appear. For the first time, the authors of this new study think they've explained why antibodies form in certain places. According to the researchers, the antibodies originally developed to fight unwanted gut bacteria, but secondarily attack the joints of people with rheumatoid arthritis, causing pain. Researchers expose bacteria in the stool of people at risk for rheumatoid arthritis to antibodies. A once unknown bacteria species was found in 20% of people with rheumatoid arthritis or antibodies that trigger it. In the study, the researchers gave mice one dose of the gut bacteria named Subsidulium digliosi. The mice then started to experience symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis and joint attacking antibodies by the 14-day mark. There's no evidence that the Subsidulium digliosi is prevalent in healthy people's stool, so we don't know how common it is. It is still unknown why people with rheumatoid arthritis react to this bacteria. Research suggests that the bacteria may be the culprit when it comes to rheumatoid arthritis since it is only found in rheumatoid arthritis patients' intestines, not healthy ones. The good news is that the researchers are hopeful bacteria can be used to develop treatments and eventually prevent rheumatoid arthritis. This That's is exciting. Good news, Isn't right? this like what happened with like ulcers? Right. With like stomach ulcers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's actually a great story. When was it? It was probably the 60s or the 70s when a gastroenterologist, a stomach doctor, first announced that Helicobacter pylori, H. pylori, Helicobacter pylori, H. pylori was the cause of, uh, of stomach ulcers. And this guy was laughed out of the room and was laughed out of the profession of, of uh, gastroenterology until he wasn't. But I do know, I think I was in medical school or it had just happened just recently prior to that. Because, you know, there, everything has to be delayed 30 years before we can admit that we were wrong. Right. So they actually had like a ceremony. And I don't I wonder if you I don't think he won a Nobel Prize, but I wouldn't be surprised if he would, if he did for the discovery that H. pylori caused those those ulcers. That would be the sort of thing that that would be, you know, something that I think that would be deserving. But it, it was pretty incredible. And it also 
helped kind of break us out into this world. Because remember, in those days, they were thinking with the advent of antibiotics that infectious diseases was going to be a thing of the past. Ha! Laugh with me, right? Like, hilarious, right? The last three years have been the busiest years of my life, you know? Well, I I think it's also really exciting, though, that there's like a... One, it shows that as far as we are advanced in medicine, that these com- these relatively common things I mean one percent of the entire world's population. That's a lot of people, and that that many people are suffering for something that could potentially be just treated as is easily and as simply. That's really exciting. That's really hundred percent, hundred percent. So we will definitely continue to watch this on Noise Filter. IVF frozen embryos associated with an increase of hypertensive disorders during pregnancy. So new research shows that pregnancy hypertensive disorders related to high blood pressure are more likely to occur in in vitro fertilization, which we also refer to as IVF when using frozen embryos. Hypertension during pregnancy is not uncommon with roughly one in 10 women experiencing it, but it is a risk factor that can affect the health of both the mother and the baby. Frozen embryos are one form of IVF treatment. After an egg has been fertilized by sperm, it is then frozen using a cryopreservation process and stored in specifically designed ultra-cold freezers. Finally, when it is ready to be used, it is thawed and then transferred to the uterus. Since the late 2000s, cryopreservation methods have significantly improved and more patients are opting to freeze their embryos. We know now, however, that frozen embryo transfer is associated with a higher risk of hypertension in pregnancy than natural conception or fresh embryo transfer. This new research study confirms that the risk of hypertensive disorders in pregnancy is directly related to the frozen fertilized eggs and not a complication in the parents. There were more than 4.5 million pregnancies included in the study, 4.4 million were naturally conceived, while 100,000 used some form of IVF. Roughly 85% through the transfer of fresh embryos and 15% through the transfer of frozen ones. Approximately 33,000 of total pregnancies were grouped for sibling comparisons. In other words, mothers who conceived via more than one method. The results were clear. The risk of hypertensive disorders in pregnancy after freezing embryo transfer was 75% more likely among women who had an IVF conception using frozen embryos compared to a natural conception. A population-level analysis and sibling comparisons, however, found no increased risk of hypertension in pregnancies from fresh embryo transfer. The sibling comparisons indicate that the higher risk is not caused by factors related to the parents, but rather factors related to IVF treatment. According to this study, the risk of high blood pressure during pregnancy was substantially increased following frozen embryo transfer compared to naturally conceived 
or fresh embryo transfer pregnancies. Given this recent confirmation of the increased risk, when being impregnated by frozen embryos, it's important for anyone who's weighing their options to carefully consider all potential benefits and risks. It is crucial that physicians and patients discuss the benefits and risks of fresh versus frozen embryo transfer in a comprehensive and individualized manner. It also bears mentioning that even though a 74% higher risk is significant, it still means roughly 80% of those who become pregnant through frozen embryos will not experience hypertension. And there are steps which can be taken together with your physician if you choose to conceive this way, which can also help limit the risks. Thanks for listening to Noise Filter, your public health podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Noise Filter podcast. Follow us on social media and leave us a review letting us know your favorite part of the show. You can find me, Hope Pickerson, at hopepickerson.com. And you can find me at Dr. Mark Allen Derry or at the Dr. Derry. That's D-R-D-E-R-Y. To see and share our amazing animations and find out more information about us, the show, as well as links to our social media, go to noisefuzzershow.com. We are grateful to our sponsors, including Access Health Louisiana and the End the Epidemic Initiative, who are working to bring equitable health outcomes to everyone they serve. Hope, any last words? Stay well out there, folks, and continue taking steps to keep yourself and your loved ones healthy. That includes exercise, a good diet, getting adequate sleep, and seeing your healthcare providers regularly. And protect yourself and others by getting the COVID-19 vaccine and booster, wearing a mask, and social distancing wherever possible. Remember, health is a human right.